2: Friends, and welcome to this, another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. My name is Josh Norris, joined, as always, on this game-by-game preview show by John Daigle, Patrick Darty, and Hayden Winks. Gentlemen, it has happened. It took 10 weeks to get here, but we have more games, Hayden, in the 4 o'clock window than we do in the 1 o'clock window. How does that make you feel?
3: Yeah, when you can force 8 to 10 games all at once and then have two miserable games, three miserable games at my time, 1 p.m., you got to do it. Yep.
1: It's and it's all because it's not even because the NFL has had a change of heart. It's only because the masters like this is the first time ever that the masters ran during NFL season. And uh I can tell you the betting account is feeling it right now. It's going to be a lot of heat this weekend, but that's why we're getting extra games because CBS can't broadcast a noon game.
2: I'm so glad you put that together for me because I had no clue why it was moved. Yeah. Uh, and it's never going to be the same again. Like it's, it's not going to happen again. So enjoy it.
0: I Yeah. I thought maybe they were listing their audience, but no, nope, nope. they don't care. Never. Uh,
2: All right, guys. Well, let's get into the football today. I mean, there's so many games that hit on. Again, we will cover every single fantasy relevant player here. And before we get going, again, certain dilemmas that you might have, I would always recommend Pat's Rankings, which are on the front of the site right now. And you can join us for Rotorow Live, noon Eastern on Sundays. It's on YouTube. It's on Periscope. It's on Twitch. We're there for 45 minutes leading up until kickoff. Gentlemen, let's start off today. With the six and three Tampa Bay Buccaneers going to the Carolina Panthers. Five and a half point spread, obviously, in the Bucs' favored side here, 50 and a half total. Hayden Winks, these two teams played in week two. The final score 31 to 17 win for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. At one point, they were up 21 to nothing at halftime. Why will this one be different? Because Vegas certainly believes it will be.
3: Well, I think we've seen the Panthers kind of stick around and hang hang with some good teams. We saw it with the Chiefs last week. And the Buccaneers, I think they have tons and tons of potential, but they're still trying to figure out the offense, how to incorporate Antonio Brown, how to shake up their running back. So I think better days are ahead for the Bucs. They've been pretty inconsistent, but their roster top to bottom, so one of the best in the league. So I'm, I'm expecting the, the Bucks to start really figuring things out, especially for fantasy purposes. Um, they're projected for the 7th most points this week. I think that they have a chance to go over that. Um, I, I'm kind of throwing away last week's meltdown.
1: Brady's three worst games and the Bucks' only three losses this year, as I saw in a report, have all come in primetime this year. And there is a narrative or a rumor speculated that it's because – Brady announced at the beginning of the year he changed his training regimen to go to bed at 830. This isn't the worst narrative I've ever heard, by the way, that he goes banner? to sleep that he goes to sleep around this time. <laughs> yeah. And so that's why these games have been so bad. But either way, this is a Carolina Demons, as we know, that can't get pressure uh, near the bottom of the league. And Brady with clean pockets is still a OK. So you go back to the Bucks offense and you don't worry at all in this spot.
6: I'll just say, you know, it wasn't just the beat down to the Saints. It, to me, I view that in tandem with almost losing to Daniel Jones and the Giants. So it's not just like it's one game yeah. that we're concerned about for the Bucks. You know, also losing to Nick Foles several weeks ago. But like you said, I mean, the Daniel Jones game was prime time. Was the Bears game also prime time? I yeah, Thursday I night. So, I, well, okay, well, we'll see. Maybe like uh, Tom Brady, you know, it's just very chipper during the day and the the whole thing can get back on track. But – the Bucks are, so we talked about this on the Wednesday podcast, so sorry to repeat myself, Josh, but the Bucs are a team, like, very much on the spot, and the, the roster is so good at every level, except for is it good at the most important position in quarterback, and, like, it's kind of weird that Tom Brady is, like, turning into, like, one of the questions, not that he's having a bad season even, but to me, he is, like, the central question now for this roster.
2: Well, Pat, that roster is loaded at wide receiver, and I agree with Hayden that we can't take anything and extrapolate from it from the wide receiver usage in terms of Antonio Brown's debut with the Bucs. But, Hayden, I went back and looked at box score from these two teams played, and that was a great Mike Evans game. Seven catches, over 100 yards, one touchdown in, in that performance. Is that enough to hang our hat, on, and, you know, be confident in starting him this week against this Panthers secondary when he, you know, in, in the past, he has struggled against the likes of James Bradbury. Now James Bradbury is playing very well for the New York Giants, and now he probably gets one-on-one matchup against Dante Jackson, who he was an absolute bully against.
3: Yeah, I think I'm viewing the Bucks receivers kind of like the Steelers receivers, where they're all kind of like in wide receiver three territory. The ceiling, of course, is really high, like we've seen with Chase Claypool, like we've seen with... Deontay Johnson as well. I kind of view that as the Bucks as well. So we're still trying to figure things out. I still believe Antonio Brown ultimately is going to come up as the number one receiver uh, just because he's being recruited by Tom Brady. He's living at Tom Brady's house right now. I think that there's reasons to believe Antonio Brown is back. He made a good play last week too. So, but we're still looking for answers. We don't know how all the targets are going to go uh, be distributed, but I think all three of them deserve to be in fantasy lineups just because they
1: have wide receiver one ceilings. A- A.B. heard about me wanting to join the GOAT, and so he decided to join the GOAT as well. Uh, (laughs) For the Panthers offense, I will say... If you stream Bridgewater last week, I still think you can do it again against this Bucks defense because what's happening now is that they're still running blitzes at a top five rate in the league. And these past two weeks, Daniel Jones, as you when you watch the game, should have had Darius Slayton five times over the top. It's just Daniel Jones. He missed them all. And then Drew Brees picked them apart underneath. There was nothing they could do because when you send lots of blitzes, at Drew Brees, what is he going to do? Drop it off. It's the same thing that Teddy Bridgewater is going to do. So I do think the Panthers can score some points in this game.
2: Pat, where does Mike Davis slot in your rankings? Because as soon as Christian McCaffrey returned to this lineup, he was removed from the lineup now with an AC joint, a shoulder injury. We saw Mike Davis be outstanding his first couple starts. Then he kind of slowed down a little bit, but I'm sure he's locked in easily as a top 12 running back this week, despite a good defense.
6: I mean, easily is a bit of a stretch, but he is in the top 12. He was really waning kind of on an efficiency basis. Uh, both a per rush and a per catch basis for Christian McCaffrey came back. You know, now he's playing a very, very good Bucks defense, but I mean, there's nowhere else for these touches to go in the backfield. So it's a plug and play classic plug and play situation. Um, yeah. I have him as like RB 11 or RB 12. And I just want to say, I hate disagreeing with Hayden, but I am still going to be a dissenting voice on Antonio Brown. And I'm still viewing him as kind of like an uncertain wide receiver four until we really see um, where this is going uh, in the Bucks receiver core.
2: Let's move on Houston Texans and Cleveland Browns as my voice cracks for absolutely no reason. The two and six Houston Texans are on the road against the Browns who are three and a half point favorites who are five and three, a total of 49 in this game. Daigle Deshaun Watson is playing unbelievable football right now. David Johnson will be out with a concussion. Almost certainly that means we should get the Duke Johnson show. And while you know, I've pointed to Miles Garrett having a fantastic year and a potential defensive player of the year candidate. I keep looking at the advanced analytics on this Browns defense, and it is not a good unit. So, can Deshaun do enough? Can he carry this team well enough to make them competitive in this game, like the desert predicts?
1: It is his first tough test since the last five games have come against the Vikings, Jaguars, Titans, Packers, and Jaguars again. However, as you said, he has been absolutely tremendous in that stretch, averaging 68% of his passes completed with 13 touchdowns to two interceptions. And Brandon Cooks has stormed out in front of Will Fuller in this time since Romeo Cornell has taken over. Um, 39 targets to Will Fuller's 30, and yet Fuller is still hanging around as a fringe wide receiver run along with Brandon cooks. So I still think you can go to these guys with confidence. Cause as we know, the Browns also more of a pass funnel than they are uh, succumb to allowing rushes on the ground.
6: Yeah. The Browns are top 10 in terms of passing yardage allowed. So you can at least pile up the yards against them. And one of my favorite stats from this week, Brandon cooks is the wide receiver eight by average points since Bill O'Brien is fired on mm-hmm. uh, half PPR at PPR, just uh, what can firing uh, Bob do for you, basically?
3: Yeah, and I, I saw that uh, Deshaun Watson's number one in PFF grade since that firing, and he's down, like, 13th. They're using slightly more play actions. So they're still, like, not – the offense hasn't changed that much. I think most of this is the schedule, but like you guys said, I, I don't think the Browns are, like, an average defense. They're 15th in uh, passing EPA defense, 23rd in rushing EPA defense. Right. The Texans can't run the ball right now, but Duke Johnson last last week filling in for David Johnson – had 17 and a half expected fantasy points because he's catching all these dump offs. He should be the goal line back as well. If they get down there and the Texans have a 25 point team total, that's like middle of the pack. So I think that Duke Johnson deserves like some high end RB two, maybe low end RB one uh, respect
1: for this week. What do you have him ranked? Pat, Sorry, like to catch like up call while you're drinking coffee. Sorry,
6: uh, RB fourteen or fifteen, I believe. Uh, okay, French uh, RB. Maybe RB1. could be a reevaluation. I agree with Hayden. There's really there, we might be looking at RB one usage, and it was just kind of an uncertain part of the board. Yeah, I have an RB fifteen, and that was with Joe Mixon ahead of him. Which uh, I'm gonna pour one out, not to ruin that for later in the podcast, but it appears he's not playing. So that's one I could bump a little higher uh, by Sunday or mo- by Friday or Sunday morning.
2: How much of an impact is it that? Duke Johnson is facing his former employer, Pat. Does that factor in, into the, to the math at all?
6: No, it doesn't, because all the revenge game energy this week is taken up by Adrian Peterson's second consecutive oh revenge God. game. Okay. Uh, which
2: just wondering. the yeah, last wondering. week went so well for AP. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of running backs, I believe we're getting Nick Chubb back in this contest. Is, is that correct? And he's going against a Houston, Houston Texans defense that is awful. We've seen J.J. Watt speak and be critical of the entire organization, namely Jack Easterby this week. And we've talked about their linebackers. They're injured. They're slow. They're overpaid. So to me, Hayden, you're just going to get the Nick Chubb if he plays. And if not, Kareem Hunt show. And it's just going to be all on the ground. And then Baker Mayfield's going to be asked to make one or two or three or four plays of, of course, the game for them to win comfortably.
3: Yeah. And they get some other pieces back to you. Austin Hooper should be back. And Vegas is very bullish on the Browns. They have, have them projected for the six most points on the week. And that's because the Texans are 30th in passing EPA 32nd in rushing EPA defense is probably the worst defense in the league, if not bottom three. So I think that Jarvis Landry makes some sense as a wide receiver three. I have Austin Hooper like really high up in the rankings just because he was being utilized more before his injury. And that was with Odell Beckham. They paid him a ton of money. They don't want to use David Njoko it seems like. So I think that Austin Hooper is probably the biggest beneficiary of, um, Odell Beckham leaving and coming back from his injury. He's been resting for a couple of weeks. So I think that he's a good play here.
1: Remember in those first three games, Chubb out touched Cream Hunt, fifty four to forty seven. But Chubb ranked as the RB eight overall, Hunt as the RB thirteen because they do have standalone value and can work together, especially in this spot against a Texans front seven that's allowing the third most fantasy points per game to opposing running backs. So I think you have confidence in both if Chubb is ruled active. So the ahead, weird Pat. stat
6: was that uh, Kareem Hunt was actually like way less efficient. Uh, well, that's not the weird part, it was less efficient in Nick Chubb's ab- absence and actually averaged fewer rushing yards per game in Nick mm. Chubb's absence. So it's not like you can claim like Nick Chubb coming back is like good for Kareem Hunt in fantasy, but I, mean, I think at the very least we should see an uptick. In his efficiencies, he's called on in kind of like more advantageous running situations where Nick Chubb gets the more traditional running downs. And my other real quick brown thought Jarvis Landry, I just don't know if he's healthy enough uh, to really get higher in the rankings.
2: Pat, and I think a major part of that, and it's, it's good that you brought it up, is Wyatt Teller, who was PFS, like number one great offensive guard, had basically missed the same exact time frame as Nick Chubb had missed, and now he should be returning in this contest too. And so we've seen, you know, the Browns talent to start the season along the offensive line, be among the best in the NFL and just adding him to create space against one of the best matchups you can possibly imagine against smash spot for these players.
1: Okay. And another weird stat is that Nick Chubb still, despite only playing three full games this year, leads the league in 20 plus yard runs. So you're dropping him in and you're just
2: starting him. Let's go on over to the Washington football team, heading to the Detroit Lions, who are four and a half point favorites here. They're three and five, but this has a small total of 46 and a half points. Hayden, plenty of signs and plenty of people on Twitter, I might add, after what I wrote this week, point to Antonio Gibson being in a great spot against the the Detroit Lions. I am a little nervous, a little terrified, but because of my apprehension and because in every other week I have believed in the talent that is Antonio Gibson, this certainly means it will be a smash spot for him. What do you think, Hayden?
3: Yeah, I was looking at our consensus rankings for this week, too, and I was a little lower on Antonio Gibson as well. The Lions are the worst team against fantasy running backs. They're 30th in rushing EPA. All the signs are there, and Washington's only projected to lose by three and a half points, which is probably less than any of their totals all year outside of that Cowboys game. So I think Antonio Gibson should see 15 to 20 carries. The problem is, and this went viral because of our, our friend Lord Reeves, one touch on third downs. Uh, for Antonio Gibson this year, he is not getting any of the passing down work. So he's really one dimensional. And if you're getting 15 carries and none of them are near the goal line, you can really bust out with that said, I think this is a week to expect Antonio Gibson to have a better than usual week, but he's been like a RB three, maybe a high end RB three all season. So if you give him the bump, I think that becomes like the RB 15, RB 20, nothing higher than that.
2: Not to make this into a, a show about groupthink, Hayden, but, I'm just terrified that Alex Smith is going to tank this offense even more. Like it's it's very concerning that they could just immediately go down by two scores because this is a team that leads the league in percent of snaps down by two scores. And I know last week that outside the three interceptions, Alex Smith's numbers look pretty good, like over 300 yards and and a touchdown. He was bottom in the league and intended air yards per attempt last week at 3.5. One yards, and so if Matthew Stafford does play on the other end, and they go out to a fourteen point lead, we know that Antonio Gibson isn't going to be in the ball game. It's going to be J.D. McKissick who played last week in a similar situation, eighty three percent of the time on the field. So I'm nervous unless Scott Turner has a change of heart, which we have not seen. We've been clamoring for. We have not seen that if this team is in a major negative game script, then it's, they just don't want to lean on Antonio Gibson
6: we shouldn't be using the phrase major negative game script in a game that involves facing the Detroit lions, uh, especially without Kenny God, I would say it's not possible just to be frank. And the thing with Antonio Gibson is he's at least unchallenged on early downs. Uh, So, I mean, he will have early downs going for him at least the first half, despite not playing on third down, he still catches like two to three weekly passes. And uh, he was on the injury report. He's been removed from the injury report. Uh, They still keep saying the right things about him. His role should continue to grow. I mean, Alex Smith, is looking like an even more extreme version of early career Alex Smith. Like unlike week five, he at least looked like he sort of belonged in the NFL field last week. Like he was a little more ready. And like, this will be the first time all season I'm frozen now, Uh, the first time all season that Alex Smith uh, will actually get to prepare for a start. Like he will have gone into the game knowing he's the starter instead of being thrown into the fire. So I think that, so Alex Smith is just being so conservative and, uh, which is, Josh, you alluded to this too, though. So we're getting a more extreme early career version of Alex Smith, but it's with more turnovers, at least last week, which kind of defeats the purpose of that level of play. Yeah. I think even with more conservative Alex Smith, There's going to be more catches, I believe, for Antonio Gibson, even if J.D. McKissick is still catching six to seven weekly passes. I'm speaking 1,000 miles a minute right now.
1: We now have three games that Stafford has played without Kenny Galladay, and he's averaged seven yards per attempt and 13.6 fantasy points per game. The answer to roster instead or in place of Kenny Galladay for this offense is no one. You just avoid him. So you play Marvin Jones. You play DeAndre Swift, even though Adrian Peterson will still be involved, and that's pretty much it for me here. I mean, I can see this going either way
2: because we have seen this Lions offensive line give up pressure. We know Washington creates pressure. Like, I'm not going to say that Washington is a good football team and that they're better than two and six. But, you know, they're much closer to the Lions. I think we're all saying this than they are a lot of other opponents they might face this season. So
3: I'll say two things to wrap up. I think that Alex Smith might be the worst starting quarterback this week, even though there's some other backups. He is just He's he's really bad right now. They're strong I, really know. They're
6: strong I know, I know,
3: but he looks I mean he looks so timid right now. And Rotopad, please do not assign me this game. This game's horrible.
6: <laughs> well, as someone I assigned myself the Washington football team last week. So I'm just I'm not doing it again, is all I'm gonna say.
2: Sorry, Kyle.
3: <laughs> oh, <laughs> Kyle.
2: Oh Kyle. Well, I guess instead, Hayden Winks, you would prefer the Jacksonville Jaguars going to the Green Bay Packers. A spread of 13 and a half in this game, a total of 49 and a half. Obviously, the Packers at six and two are favorites. Daigle, Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams. We know who we want to start most likely on the Packers end of this equation. Last week, though, we saw Jake Luton almost immediately on the second or third throw of the game make DJ Chark usable, made him relevant all over again. Are you going back to that well against a Packers defense that has not been great and they might be without their number one quarterback in Jair Jair Alexander this week?
1: Yeah, we'll see if I, Jair Alexander, we both tripped up their plays, but... At the end of the day, Shark did see a 31.5% target share from Luton, who didn't look bad. Uh, Of course, he hit Shark for a 73-yard touchdown to open the game and then averaged 6.8 yards per attempt with a pick on his 37 other throws. He did have that one Derrick Henry-like run that got the Jaguars tied in the game uh, because he stiffed on the linebacker and ran in. So the Luton experience was sort of fun, but... Come on, now we're in a two touchdown underdog spot at Lambeau Field, um, a rookie's first road game as well against an offense that has hummed along against every team except the Buccaneers defense. So I worry about this spot in general, especially if Alexander just cancels out Shark.
6: It was even without the 73-yard touchdown, it would have been DJ Shark's second most productive game of the season. So hopefully the the rookie is at least, you know, like double, you know, committing to his number one weapon, which has been a problem all year for the Jaguars, maybe partly because of injuries. But as of Thursday, Jair Alexander, who, in addition to the concussion, also has a hand in, hand injury, has not resumed practicing. And that would – I mean, I don't think any of us are going to be, like, excited about Jake Luton as, like, a, anything other than, like, a low-end QB2 or, like, total DFS punt. But no Jair Alexander would certainly solidify DJ Shark as, like, is uh, a real deal wide receiver too this week.
3: Yeah, over the last month, D.J. Chark's top 10 in targets and air yards per game. He's up to wide receiver, set, wide receiver 7 fantasy usage. I think even with Alexander, he's like a volume-based wide receiver 2. Even though the team total's down to like 19 points, that's the second worst on the week. We just know that he's the only receiver basically involved right now. Uh, Keelan Cole, LaVisca Chennault, Chris Conley, all these guys are just not doing too much and separating. So I think it's going to be D.J. Chark, and we know James Robinson's just been awesome, so... I think that the Packers are just terrible against the run. Uh, maybe they try to keep James Robinson intact because that's their entire offense right now. But I mean, he's
2: going to be a volume based RB one, too. Pat, what are the notes on the Packers backfield right now?
6: Uh, yeah. Aaron Jones is playing. Uh, Jamal Williams is back. Uh, Tyler Irvin is not canceled. He's just out of the picture. I believe Dexter Williams has been cut. So yeah, it's plug and play Aaron Jones season and. Running back is so bad. I mean, Jamal Williams is a weekly top 36 option at this point, which makes him, like, flex relevant, flex viable, and especially in a game where we should see yeah, some some garbage time for the Green Bay Packers. So we are finally back. It's been a while, but I'd say we are back to status quo in the Packers' backfield. Okay.
3: What hard. happened to A.J. Dillon? Why did they pick him? I mean, second round, he hasn't, he's doing nothing. They're not giving well, him any snaps. That's well, least... no,
2: well, but, but the reason he, he didn't get any snaps last week is because he was on the COVID protocol, I believe, along with everyone else because he was in close contact. Right? Believe he
1: actually had coronavirus? Okay. He was, remember, he was, he, he was the one who got... He tested positive, and then Jamal Williams was a close contact, which is why right. they were both canceled out. Aaron Jones did return and handle 20 touches, I believe. And remember, that was a blowout game. He could have gone longer. He looked great immediately. He was making spry cuts despite uh, being away with a calf injury. So Aaron Jones is the guy you just roll back in. He's clearly passed whatever injury he had.
3: Right. Yeah, I was mostly just talking about why they draft him. Like, <laughs> well, why did the draft wrong, anything? Too. In I the know draft it's just why
1: number three
6: quarterback also off the COVID list. That's really big for the Packers this week.
1: Sure I should love. say good matchup. So, Pat, where would you rank? Just a guess here. If Alan Lazard is activated for this game,
6: I haven't ranked as if he is going to play. But it's like you know I me. Mean, I like to hedge. Like, when there's like a little uncertainty. I have him like the wide receiver forty to forty-five range. He's actually probably higher than I think some people have him. But that is what he was operating as. Uh, Before he got hurt. And despite, you know, the MVS revival last week, uh, the two touchdowns did come after an Aaron Rodgers death stare. And, uh, you know, Robert Tunyon is kind of like he's kind of waning from relevance. So I do think Lazari will be wide receiver four viable again. Maybe not this week, but I am ranking him as that. So wide receiver 40 to 45.
1: The past month, Devontae Adams has 34 catches. And the next closest is Tunyon with 11. Like they they are going to need somebody immediately. And they will thrust him right back in there.
2: Let's now go to the Philadelphia Eagles against the New York Giants. A small total of 44 and a half in this game with Philly on the road as three and a half point favorites. Hayden Winks, Miles Sanders likely returning off a of bye week. Both these passing offenses are absolutely brutal, but at least one side is starting to get a little bit healthier. I mean, Jalen Rager returned. So did Dallas Goddard. So I think we have to be feeling a lot better about the Eagles than we are about the Giants, yes?
3: Definitely. And for as bad as Carson Wentz has been, and he's been like one of the bottom three quarterbacks this entire season, he's still the QB 17 in fantasy per game. And now he gets two capable receivers. Fulgham's actually like an NFL caliber, NFL starting caliber receiver. Jalen Rieger has tons of upside. and the Dallas Goddard is light years ahead of Zach Ertz What where Zach Ertz was playing earlier in the year and then of course Miles Sanders. So I think that there's reason to believe that the Eagles start to pick up the pace on offense and if it doesn't that means that Carson Wentz like the really being pushed right now. If you can't figure it out against these in these next couple of weeks because they're the Eagles schedule is awesome the rest of the way. So I think that there's definitely reason to believe the Eagles can start making
1: some noise down the stretch. And probably Miles Sanders back, who in the four games prior to injury, 73 touches to Boston Scots 13 was not a committee whatsoever. So if they get him back, like, and I, and unlike Joe Mixon, it doesn't seem like empty promises after the buy for, for Sanders. It does look like he's healthy and ready to go. So yeah, I would start him as an RB one immediately.
6: How dare no one mention that Alshon Jeffrey is coming back. Oh no, I didn't even
2: know. Did the not even know changer
6: for the Eagles. I'm actually concerned about everyone coming back for Carson Wentz because he only seems to be good when he's playing with like fifth stringers. So this is actually <laughs> a huge concern. The Eagles getting healthy. No, I mean, yeah, hopefully Carson Wentz was really bad. The first couple, he has stabilized a little bit. He was bad in his final start before the bye, though. Um, but I think we will see uh, in addition. So we were getting some fantasy numbers from Carson Wentz. I think Famous last words of Carson Wentz. We'll start getting some improved actual real-life play from Carson Wentz in the second half of the season.
2: Yeah, I think he was among the top four or five in rushing production at the quarterback position to start the season, and that was making him extremely fancy relevant. And he was on the list with, like, Kyler Murray and Cam Newton. I keep going on and on with those names, and he's just the one that did not fit of that group. But somehow he was still doing it week in and week out, so hopefully some of that – uh, buoys into passing performance he's as well.
6: Fitzpatricking. Like that's really what he's kind like. I mean, operating as like a giant version of Ryan Fitzpatrick.
1: And I know it was only one target before the bye, but Goddard did play 86% of the snaps. So if he's still yeah. hanging around on waiver wires, that's the tight end one you've been waiting for, for the stretch run.
2: Yeah, I, I'm totally with you. It's, I mean, we saw his start that was unbelievable this season. And outside of Travis Kelsey at number one, I mean, tight end has been an incredible Bad. headache this season. And it wouldn't surprise me at all. If we look at the second half of the season, if Dallas Goddard ends up as a top five option at that position, the rest of the way. All right. Do we need to say anything about the giants? I mean, when Gallman, Devante maybe Devontae Freeman, Freeman is back practicing,
1: uh,
6: Evan Ingram somehow has 29 targets in the past three weeks. uh,
1: uh uh, the last three games, we'll see what happens with Golden Tape, But the last three games, Darius Slayton's target share, uh, 13.8%, 22%, and 3%. And that's because Sterling Shepard's target share in that span, 27%, 24%, and 24%. It seems like Daniel Jones, this is something we discussed in the offseason too, now that's coming to fruition now that all are healthy. But Daniel Jones is locked into Shepard. Having said that, it's still a very bad offense commanded by Daniel Jones. So uh, if you need a high floor guy, I guess Shepard's the one.
2: Let's now go to the four o'clock window. Seven and two Buffalo Bills. Going Masters to Master's window. Cardinals. I mean, what a ludicrous game this might be. Total of 56 and a half. But the Cardinals, if I have this correct, Hayden, are two-point favorites at home, despite having a worse record. I mean, this is speed on speed, air attack versus air attack. What is interesting about the Bills is that they're kind of like a chameleon based on who they're playing. They can Weave in and out on how they play and and the style in which they want to dominate opponents. You know, if they're facing the Jets, then and Seahawks and the Titans secondaries, then Josh Allen averages 42 passing attempts in those scenarios, seven more than his season long average against the Raiders and Patriots, the bottom two rush defenses in the NFL. Devin Singletary claimed 38 touches in those two contests, so. Hayden, which approach do you think Brian Dayball is going to enact in order to beat this Arizona Cardinals team?
3: I'm going with the John Brown narrative where he kind of unlocks the passing offense. And the on and off splits with Josh Allen and John Brown are pretty pretty substantial. And last week, the Bills, in 100% of their neutral situation plays, passed the ball. That's got to be probably the first time in NFL history. Literally every single time in a neutral situation, they opted for the pass. So... Stephon Diggs, John Brown, those guys are going to be must-start plays, I think, down the stretch. Uh, assuming John Brown's healthy, and he looked completely healthy last week, yeah. and it's basically those three guys, Josh Allen, Steph Diggs, John Brown, in Cole Beasley as well, but you can throw away the running backs just because the Bills are passing the ball at really high rates, and when they get to the goal line, it's Zach Moss a little bit, but you still have to be worried about Josh Allen, so um, I, I don't think that you can do anything with, with Devin Singletary. Um, he might be
1: be droppable in some leagues too. Devin Singletary, in my opinion, Definitely dropable, uh, but I will say he I don't know ex-
6: who's on the waiver wire. Just for the record, uh,
1: <laughs> Ryan Noll is on the
2: waiver wire. Ryan
1: Noll is on the waiver wire. Uh, I will say I don't expect the game same the same game plan. Thirty two attempts, I believe it was, to eleven running back carries. A concerted effort against Seattle's, as we know, very bad secondary and defending wide receivers. But there are no ancillary options for Josh Allen to throw to, which, which always makes Diggs and John Brown healthy that much stronger. We now have seen that Cole Beasley has averaged the 49th most fantasy points per game uh, and seven starts alongside John Brown this year. And then in two starts without him, the 16th most. So Cole Beasley, not even a factor as long as Brown is as healthy
2: as he was last week. Yeah, I, from a fantasy standpoint, I, I totally agree. But from like a win-loss perspective, Cole Beasley and I think Gabriel Davis make a massive difference sure. for when John Brown I agree. is, is I agree. healthy.
6: And John Brown, it frees up some like wide open looks for Gabriel Davis, who's like a really huge play threat. And I really like mean, I love the matchup. So the Cardinals were kind of like almost like the Panthers early in the season where they were kind of bending against the pass, but not breaking. But since losing Chandler Jones, they've been starting to break against the pass. Every week they're signing like a new veteran cornerback who is like on his last legs. Basically, this is another potential complete eruption spot for the Bills' offense. I totally agree with Hayden. The John Brown narrative, I think, is real. He, he had, Entering last weekend, he had, I think, 60 yards since week two as he had tried to play gut out various injuries. We know that the matchup played a huge role in that, but it, this, yeah, he made the whole offense look completely different. And I don't think they could have gone into halftime attempting 28 passes to only three rushes if they didn't have John Brown. So hopefully this does change the Bills' offense uh, going forward for the second half of the season after that slump. And, yeah, I think... Uh, this is all systems go fantasy spot again for the bills
2: i am very here for a 7 catch 120 yard one touchdown performance from john brown this week going to his former employer in the arizona cardinals uh uh situation where we like every single year would talk ourselves into this wide receiver who was going in the middle of late rounds who always had talent when he was on the field, but it just never quite clicked for one reason or another. And now with the bills, they have gotten the most out of him. I mean, Hayden, you and I talked to Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott at the NFL combine and their goal was to acquire veteran free agents who their best football was still ahead of them. I think maybe that was the case with Cole Beasley and a few other guys, but it was definitely the case with John Brown. He is just an important, important piece of that offense. And from a defensive perspective from the Cardinals, you know, they kind of had to and uh, the Dolphins in a scenario where any defensive coach, would want him to be right in like a situation where you would have to drive the length of the field and, and score a touchdown, but two was able to create those magic moments when pressured or, or running with the football on his own. And I think Josh Allen's going to have to do the exact same thing in this game. We know that he's not afraid to do that at all. Dago, what do you think about this Cardinals backfield situation? Cardinals pass catchers, because boy, Christian Kirk is on this like unbelievable streak of scoring something like six touchdown passes over the last three or four games.
1: And it's easy to direct why because DeAndre Hopkins still fourth in the league among all wideouts and target share with 29%. But since Christian Kirk, came back from injury in week four, that has plummeted. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins at a 25% target share and Kirk instead at a 20% target share and his average depth of target in that span, 12 yards, which is two yards higher than DeAndre Hopkins. Kirk, since he's returned, there's a reason he's scoring touchdowns. That's because he owns a team high, or not a team high, I'm sorry, but he owns 30% of the team's red zone targets, which is 5-1 to one in favor of him over Hopkins, and 4-2 to two in favor of end zone targets for Kirk. He has become their deep threat, which is what they were trying to do with Andy Isabella before Kirk initially got injured. So, both of these players can't succeed. The thing that happened with Hopkins last week, he did have technically one target in the first half, but it was a DPI, so it doesn't count of the box score but he really just wasn't targeted whereas they they were kept on feeding their tight ends room and Kirk and moving away from Hopkins we could get that again if Tredavious White plays we have to wait and see what happens here but overall you should still go back to Hopkins and the highest total of the week with confidence
6: Kirk is Will Fullering is what he's doing like he's mixing in for like a big play it seems like almost every week
1: hey what, what about Chase Edmonds (laughs)
6: I mean,
3: ultimate rebound candidate. I probably could have him inside my top five if Kenyon Drake doesn't play. Um, He was limited yesterday. Um, You see players all the time go limited, 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 and then not not end up playing. So you have to keep an eye on with Drake. But Chase Edmonds hit all every box with usage, 96% snaps, 20 expected fantasy points. He just didn't get there. But that happens all the time. Um, I think maybe you can discount Chase Edmonds not being the greatest talent in the world, but... When you're talking about te- uh, teams that are second in pace and eighth in pace and that they have the highest over under the week, you really have to go uh, back to like the top five Chase Edmonds rankings.
1: To that point, twenty eight of thirty of the team's backfield touches, the one box he did not check was becoming Kenyon Drake because they used him just like Kenyon Drake. They ran him up the middle. They only gave him three targets, not in space. It was so weird. So maybe it happens again. But Kenyon Drake still the or I'm sorry, Chase Edmonds still obviously the better talent in this backfield. I was just going
6: to say it was a very touching Alexander Madison tribute. We, we need, we don't want that this week. And I've had people literally, I don't know what you call They've been lolling at me in my mentions for having Chase Edmonds as
1: the RB five. So I'm glad to see some RB five solidarity. Alexander Madison didn't even catch passes though. Like Chase Edmonds was still involved throughout the entire game.
2: Let's go now to the Denver Broncos and the Las Vegas Raiders, a 51 total And this one, four and a half point. The Vegas Raiders are favorites five and three on the season. All right. Drew Locke is on his pre-2020 Josh Allen flow right now. I mean, I saw this statistic in Lord Reeves' worksheet this week. He's awful in poor downfield passing. I mean, 12 of 45 on 15-plus yard attempts this season, that's a 27% completion percentage with one touchdown and four interceptions. Again, guy with big arm, cannot throw downfield. But he's attempting those passes at the second-highest rate in the NFL. So. I mean, something's got to change here. But Daigle, what might change is facing this Las Vegas Raiders defense that is not good in the secondary and not good stuff in the run either. Lock. Uh, the same reason we like
1: Justin Herbert, besides Justin Herbert being an amazing player we'll talk about later, is because he's facing this Raiders defense again. Uh, Median rate of pressure, 21%, uh, still ranked 29th overall in football outsiders' adjusted sack rate metric. Not only did we see Judy come on strong last week, but also Tim Patrick here is hanging around as a strong wide receiver three, despite who is healthy around him. He's now recorded seven targets in his last three full games and 100 yards and or a touchdown in his last four full games. So both of these Players, I think, are strong options and a terrific matchup because if you subtract the win game against Cleveland for the Raiders, all of their other contests have averaged 60 points this year. Yeah, I mean, haters will say
6: it's photoshopped, but Drew Locke is the QB3 <laughs> and QB8 over the past two weeks. And you can't, uh, just an amazing player, guy. I mean, Mizzou turns out quarterbacks. <laughs> now you want to claim them again. No, no, I really. I, the the eye test, bad. Box scores, very, very good. And yeah, another, just as you, every recent John has said, another really, really
1: great matchup. He's With- he's the most like Ian Harditz player in the league. Like, even though he's bad, like his dances and whatnot do make him like the swaggiest player in the league.
2: Yeah. Fantasy's Rex Chapman is going to, you know, post a whole bunch of. <laughs> Of uh, Drew Lock underrated highlights lad. from you know these last two weeks all summer long. I think that's what Ian's going to do this summer. So
3: One Funny note one. on the Broncos, we are waiting for the Noah Fant complete eruption. I mean, he is just waiting to go absolutely nuts. He's so athletic. We've seen flashes of it. He's still battling these injuries. But a fully healthy Noah Fant with Drew Locke playing serviceable quarterback play right now. I mean, the upside is through the roof. I, I have him maybe like top five, top six just waiting for these, these eruptions to happen because the tight end position right now is so weak and only a few guys, maybe nobody outside of like Travis Kelsey has the potential of no fan.
1: And likely more end zone and red zone targets since that was previously owned by uh, Albert O, of course, with a team high five end zone targets because he just tore his ACL. So lots more 11 personnel down the stretch, lots more Noah fan, I would think.
6: Fant would be a top three option this week. It's just he's really gutting through this ankle and you have to like this hedge and lower expectations a little bit, but it's a shame because yeah, he is ready to go nuclear once he gets healthy.
2: What are our overall thoughts on Derek Carr right now? Because talk about waiting in the wings. I think Las Vegas Raiders Twitter is about to (laughs) jump in everyone's face in terms of wanting more positive things said about their quarterback. Now, I think it's a great offensive line he's playing behind right now, like a top five unit in the NFL, despite missing Trent Brown at points this season. And it seems like he's going to be missing again this week, but it's a very narrow team in terms of targets and target trees that we always talk about. Yet John Gruden, I think is emerging as a top 10 play caller in this league. If not, he's already there because he's making it work each and every week. And I think that there's something admirable that needs to be said about that, Pat.
6: I was muted. Uh, just, I just, I just, I just mute. I go catatonic when I hear Derek Carr. Um, yeah, no, D- John Gruden is a master game planner. I mean, yeah. he's he's been doing the best with like limited talent. Like he, it's it's one of those guys where it's become a situation where yeah, I wish I could see John Gruden with a better quarterback. Uh, but too with Derek Carr, you know, he he was kind of like proving the fantasy haters wrong for a while, but. Last week, you know, pretty good matchup and this diminished Chargers defense. And he completed 13 passes for 165 yards. Um So I don't know if it's the Drew Locke fantasy moment, which was never really there. Is that coming and going already? Because they seem like a team where they would benefit, yeah, from getting like their target tree down. It's like, you know, some weeks Nelson Aguilar is leading the receiver core. And like some weeks, you know, Henry Ruggs is only getting one to two target. I feel like they would benefit from maybe having a more clearly defined uh target tree, but – yeah I mean John Gruden he does deserve props for like kind of taking like this an offense full of like outcasts kind of and making it servable, making it very efficient but I think it's still kind of d- doomed for like the same reasons it was it just lacks that 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 upside that you
1: really really need
6: and uh yeah he the, the scheming can only take this collection of talent so far basically
1: Las Vegas is growing the world's largest Sequoia because it's Alec Ingold, Jason Witten, Darren Waller, Nelson Aguilar, not Henry Ruggs, literally everyone involved weekly. So it's just really tough to pin down who to play Derek Carr with. But the fact is it's more recency bias that's affected him because we now had the tornado game in Cleveland. And then this past week, a season low 23 attempts only because – uh, the Chargers and Anthony Lynn tried to keep the ball away from the Raiders, afforded them just the sixth lowest time of possession on the entire week. So I think Derek Carr is a great spot, especially since this Denver defense that has been banged up has allowed 43, 30, and 34 points their last three games now.
6: I'll just say he might be kind of hard ceiling, like Teddy Bridgewater, I feel like. We're very efficient and we'll get about two touchdowns every week, but you're just going to have a hard time getting three or four touchdown games out of Derek Carr.
2: Hayden, over-under nine times you watched those first two quarters of the NFL season with Henry Ruggs. <laughs> I miss them so much, Josh.
3: I mean, I, I still believe that they'll get him some touches down the stretch, but it's it's he's definitely a wait and see player. The other note, Josh Jacobs. You know, it's been like this for both seasons. In wins, when they're leading, he gets all the touches in the world. He's a locked in RB one when you when you can expect them to win. They're uh, five point favorites here, so I think that Josh Jacobs, who I kind of flip as like a, either a high end RB two or like a top six running back, I think this week. He's getting closer to that, like top six, top seven. Just because the the Broncos' run defense is okay, they're losing, They still lost so much talent, and uh, I mean, the Raiders are projected for twenty eight and a quarter points. That's the fifth most on the week. Darren Waller, Josh Jacobs, those are going to be the guys that are going to be fine. And then this is going to be a
0: good game. Do you want a beautiful lawn?
4: Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface.
5: With the Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash credit card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash cash.
2: Well, this four o'clock window is loaded because next up we have the Los Angeles Chargers facing the Miami Dolphins. Dolphins, two and a half points. Favorite at home, Four and a half, forty eight and a half. 48 and excuse me, total in this one. Pat, Justin Herbert versus Tunga Vailoa was a massive debate during the NFL draft process. And now in week 10 of the NFL season, we can... Know some truths about both these guys, right? From Justin Herbert, he has exceeded every single person's expectation. I mean, he is throwing downfield, making these incredible big plays, putting the team on his back in these scenarios and trusting his arm much more than we ever expected him to. He's so willing to make mistakes, but also just create magic. On the other side, like heading into the NFL draft, Tua was always this quarterback who was inside a structure so often because Alabama was just so much better than everyone else. He was on schedule. He, he was on task. He had a quick release, right receiver, right time scenarios. But then last week against the Arizona Cardinals, we saw him make magic of his own and scramble and and create plays that really wasn't expected of him. So this should be just an exciting matchup just from the quarterback to quarterback standpoint.
6: Yeah. And when evaluating this game, it's hard not to think back to the draft and like Dolphins fans, like in my mentions, basically on the verge of like full on panic attacks at the idea that the Dolphins might take uh, Justin Herbert over to Otego Voloa. And like I played into that too. Like, yeah, this would be a terrible decision. Cause apparently, I, I mean, I just was completely wrong on Justin Herbert when I, I just thought he was a very conservative passer and someone who was just inaccurate down the field. Apparently, Oregon just used him uh, as badly as they possibly could. But I'm very excited for the matchup. I'm very excited for Justin Herbert uh, to face, you know, another really good defense. Cause like, it's a big test for Justin Herbert, but he's already had two big tests. You know, he didn't know yeah. until five minutes for the game, he'd be facing the chiefs and had like one of the best NFL debuts you'll ever see. And then he lit up the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So someone Justin Herbert has just been one of the best players in the NFL, not one of the best rookies, not one of the best court. He's been one of the best players in the entire NFL since making his debut. So yeah. And to a, like a, yeah, it was weird. You kind of had to put his debut just kind of in the garbage can because it was such weird game flow against the Rams. Just such a bizarre, not a repeatable game, and, and we really saw some of that that Tua magic in the second half last week. And yeah, this is this is one of the games of the week.
1: That is why. The upset of the week is circling Miami again, but it's landing in favor of Anthony Lynn because what could go wrong here? Uh, (laughs) Justin Herbert, of course, top five in fantasy points per game among quarterbacks. And the fact is the Miami's defense, although I respect them, and they have been better and healthy, they haven't had a test like Herbert, who is a walking field position just with one flick of his wrist. Uh, They suffocated Jared Goff. Go figure. And then, of course, play Kyler Murray. You only had five incompletions, rushed for over 100 yards, uh, peppered them for three touchdowns in that game. So it's a completely different test here. And I like the Chargers and Justin Herbert, just as outright win.
3: Yeah, I, I owe you Oscars tacos and some tequila uh, for last week's game. Of course, uh, Donald Parham couldn't come through for me and catch that pass down the corner it's of the, the Chargers, end so man, That was the difference, the Chargers, man. man. Yeah, they always find a way to lose. What's what's new with the Chargers? Yeah. I I agree that the, the way the Chargers offense is built is I think makes a lot of sense with Mike Williams going downfield, Keenan Allen can kind of do both, but mostly underneath and the missing ingredient is still Hunter Henry. Who's running all the routes. He's still like teetering on my like, tight end one, two usage, but I don't know if injuries have caught up to him or what, what's his deal right now. He's just missing out on some bigger plays. So I think you have to go back to the well with Hunter Henry, but he's another one of these tight ends where you wish there was more production, But there's still some reason to believe that more production could be coming. So I wouldn't completely throw away Hunter Henry quite yet.
2: Are you a little surprised that the total here is only 48 and a half? Because, I mean, you have these two offenses that have put up points this season in multiple spots. Is it because Miami's defense has shown to be fantastic in situations? The Charters obviously have some pass rushers that can give Tua and that Miami Dolphins offensive line fits. Do you think that's the reason why?
3: Yeah, I'm kind of conflicted here too because I think the Chargers are the much better roster, but the coaching difference is probably the biggest coaching difference mm-hmm. of the week in favor of the Dolphins. So it's really hard to tell. And the, the Dolphins have been kind of hiding their offense a little bit. They're 30th in pace. And they're just, not everything's lining up. They just traded away their uh, their slot receiver. They're missing Preston Williams now. So you're going to be relying on like Mac Mac Holland and Jakeen Grant if uh, Devontae Parker's not doing anything. So I think there is, maybe not a, a lot of reasons to believe in a massive game, but I think that the, yeah. the game itself should be very close. And I think that uh, these teams both should be pretty happy with their quarterback selections. All, all of these rookie quarterbacks look awesome.
2: Hey, we need to talk about the running back situations on both sides, right? Because on the Chargers end, you had Joshua Kelly, you had Kalen Balage last week. I think part of that was also Troy Mayne Pope who in week eight, if I'm getting my math correct, was the one who had the hot hand over Joshua Kelly, but then missed that week nine performance. So You could have a trio of backs, which I think Anthony Lynn in that situation is going to then find the hot hand this week and then continue to ride that, which we have no way of predicting who it's going to be. And then on the Dolphins end, Matt Breida returns. And while the Dolphins have no, sh- not shown any inclination in giving Matt Breida a feature back workload, now he's competing with randos absolute randos at that position so it's difficult to get a grasp on either one of these backfields
1: not only does breeder return but deandre washington is eligible to be activated this week so Mm -hmm. whether jordan howard who got the touches inside the 10 like we expected or savan Ahmed, who was the most efficient of their runners last week are even active in this game we don't know and for the other side of the ball, it's the same conundrum. Like you said, Kalen Balazs was only used because, one, Justin Jackson went down, but then also Troy Mayne Pope was not available once Justin Jackson went down. It's a total guessing game. I guess there's nothing wrong in playing like Kalen Balazs and Troy Mayne Pope and Matt Breed if you want to, but you got to know that the floor is zero for all these guys here <laughs> because it's a complete guessing game. Even Josh Kelly had 14 touches last week, and it didn't matter at all because he has the score to actually matter in fantasy football.
3: All right. I will say the hot hand for the Chargers is Justin Herbert. Just like pass the ball on 80% of the plays and just forget about it. Like stop worrying about all these guys that were either undrafted uh, day three players. I mean, none of these guys are
2: difference makers. The hot hand is your quarterback. Let's move on to the Seattle Seahawks and Los Angeles Rams. Total of 55 and a half Rams, despite being five and three and coming off a bye, are one and a half point favorites here. Pat, I'll lay it out to you. I side with Sean McVay against one of the worst NFL defenses in this game. You know me. I am not a major advocate for Jared Goff, but that's because in situations against good defenses, against good teams, he crumbles against pressure and against pass rush. This is a Jared Goff get-right spot, if I could ever see one. Sean McVay coming off a bye, being able to think of just one individual opponent, a team that he has good history against, and the Seattle Seahawks, a team that cannot rush the passer, cannot cover anyone, and he's going to scheme up all these jet actions, all these open receivers are the middle of the field, down the field, and dare I say that I'm all aboard the Jared Goff bandwagon here in Week 10.
6: You know about blueprint games, like This team stopped this team this way, and now everyone does that. We saw the blueprint against the Seahawks, and that is literally never run only pass just truly do not run and it goes against everything Sean McVay wants to do of course but as you said uh, the Seahawks have no pass rush uh, the Seahawks are actually tough against the run I mean they're I think they're top three in terms of like yards per carry allowed and rushing yards per game allowed part of that of course is because teams are just throwing on them nonstop. but yeah I mean this is the spot for Jared Goff and in rankings you try to not like overreact too much to matchups. like matchups always of course weight the ranks and like decide as tiebreakers but this is one of those matchups yet yeah, where you like kind of like break the model break the system and you get jared Goff. i have jared goff ranked as the qb8 this week which it doesn't make me feel great but even with like limited jared goff he's had four 300 yard games this year yeah. uh, you know he has what two one of the best two receiver sets in the nfl and I mean, the formula, I mean, it's just, It's not – we know what it's going to be. The Rams are going to pass all day because that's just what
1: you do against the Seattle Seahawks. It's a lot like the Bills' offense. They target their wide receivers at the second highest rate. The Rams target their wideouts at the ninth highest rate. The issue is, which wideout is it for the Rams? Because the last three games, they have eliminated Van Jefferson. And the problem is, Cooper Cup leads in targets. Robert Woods leads in red zone targets, also getting these nifty little sweeps behind the line of scrimmage every week. And then Josh Reynolds leads in end zone targets as they have leaned on more 11 personnel. I don't know which one. I still say Cooper Cup is the leader here, but this is a sneaky flex game for Josh Reynolds. If, let's say, you were planning on having Joe Mixon after the bye, and now you don't, and you need to stretch for, reach for someone off the waiver wire, like this is the game you target, and Reynolds is the guy.
3: Yeah, the Seahawks have allowed the second most deep completions this year, and Josh Reynolds is the Rams' deep threat. So I think that in over the last three weeks, Josh Reynolds all the way up to wide receiver 27 fantasy usage, which is a big surprise. The Rams are projected for the fourth most points on the slate. So I, I agree with Dagle. He's a rock solid flex play this week. He's still a little boom bust just the way he's being utilized, but you can want to chase the ceiling against the Seahawks, who I believe are on pace to break like Pey- Peyton Manning's like passing production record on defense this year. They've been like record breakingly bad. So, of course, yeah, Jared Goff, Cooper Cup, Robert
6: Woods, Josh Reynolds, all of them.
1: They have allowed 308 more yards than the next closest defense historically that was last considered the worst.
6: Yeah, they've allowed more yards through eight weeks than anyone else ever had through nine weeks. So it's amazing. That's they want amazing. this record. They want it.
3: All right, Josh, your turn. Give us a Seattle defensive stat.
2: <laughs> Cooper Cup had 21 freaking targets in the contest. Yeah. So expect him to just get peppered here in this game. Uh, we didn't talk at all about the Seattle side yet and maybe even both backfields need a little bit of a conversation but Seattle we saw a couple of weeks ago that it was not Travis Homer that got lead back duties it was DJ Dallas and then they come back the next week and DJ Dallas loses that feature back workload and it's over to Travis Homer and you know a few other names now Pete Carroll is just talking about running when he's talking about injuries. Like, I don't know if you guys saw his quote from his press conference yesterday, but I was on blurb duty and I was like, I'm not even going to blurb this dude. What are you talking about? This is gibberish. Maybe that's the point. He doesn't want us to make news. Anyways, Chris Carson was still out of practice, but he is closer than Carlos Hyde to returning. What I'm trying to say is guys, do we think that Seattle it's even worth taking the risk of playing any of these running backs in this spot?
1: Yes. not Ooh. You go first. No, I was going to say, not if uh, Chris Carson is healthy, because, well, that defies the point. Because Chris Carson <laughs> would be the only one you want to play. No one else is an option if Chris Carson's healthy. But if Chris Carson is not healthy, then Pat, uh, tag team.
6: Yeah, I was going to say if Carson and Hyatt are still out, I mean, DJ Dallas will remain RB2 relevant just because in this scoring environment, which you can say for every Seahawks game is going to have like a well above average scoring environment. Travis Homer, like Josh said, was more involved last Two weeks ago when DJ Dallas had the backfield himself, it was basically Travis Homer wasn't healthy enough to play. He was only active on an emergency basis and it was much more of a committee last week. But DJ Dallas still got the money touches. Alex Collins only touched the ball twice. And yeah, the two lead backs are out. Any, any, see, even when they're not running, any Seahawks running back is going to have some like RB two flex upside just because how many trips they make to the red zone. So DJ Dallas will remain low end RB two relevant.
2: Closing thought on this game: This might be the type of contest that shows that while we love Seattle so much just from a viewer's perspective, they could easily lose in round one of the playoffs because if they are just so overmatched on the offensive side and slash their defensive side of this game, that it doesn't matter how many points you score because you can only have so many possessions in a game if you can't stop someone. So
1: I know you said closing thoughts, but I think it's important to squeeze this in that I am backing Pete Carroll and the Seahawks. And you had mentioned at the beginning, you were backing Jared Goff and Sean McFay. So let's go ahead and shake on this for the official Josh screws John Over somehow bet of the week. Here we go. (laughs) Good job.
2: One and a half. There we go. go. That's our bet of the week. San Francisco 49ers, New Orleans Saints, I appreciate you doing that for me, John Daigle. A total of 49 in this game, Saints nine-point favorites at home. And Hayden Winks, all of a sudden, the New Orleans Saints are the number one seed in the NFC. And the numbers recently have backed it up. New Orleans is averaging a league-high four-and-a-half red zone opportunities per game. And the Saints have converted 51% of their third down plays this season the highest rate in the league. We have seen Drew Brees have great performances outdoors. He is smashing narratives here that he can still be among the lead best, at least from a counting stats perspective, without Michael Thomas. Then Michael Thomas comes back, and they keep it up. I think so much of it is because Alvin Kamara is playing great football, but this is a Saints team that we really, truly, as a football collective, need to respect a little bit more, I think.
3: Well, I think the defense has gotten healthier as well. And Marshawn Lattimore finally had a good game. And I wonder if he's just like, was kind of checking it in early until the the game started to matter. I don't know what the deal is with that, but yeah, I mean, the Saints are one of the better teams in the NFL. Um, The 49ers are so banged up that it's hard to trust any of their guys. Um, I think on the 49ers side, I have a lot of intrigue with Brandon Ayuk and outside of that, maybe Jordan, Jordan Reed, maybe Jarek McKinnon, but um, we have to see who's on the COVID list. We have to see who's playing, who's not. Uh, it's a nightmare for the 49ers right now.
6: A few Saints facts for you. Uh, Michael Thomas's first 2020 game, not against the Bucks, So that's good. Correct. Uh, especially against the secondary uh, zone. It's like number 45 corner. I think, who has used more corners? The 49ers or the Vikings this year? Uh, and this is Drew Brees' first game with Michael Thomas at the Superdome since week one. So, yeah, I mean, we were all like ending Drew Brees' career. Uh, kind of early in the season, but yeah, hasn't had his number one weapon. And like you guys have been playing better outdoors, even. Uh, all this mean, he's going to play like an MVP in the second half and then have a horrible wild card game somehow, inexplicably. But uh, yeah, the Saints are getting their mojo back. Yeah, the defense, it is weird with Marshawn Lattimore. I mean, corners are just kind of like relief pitchers sometimes. I feel like they just like go into these inexplicable funks. And that will be like a human, like more than even getting Michael Thomas back. The Saints do need Marshawn Lattimore to Play much better in the second FC. The whole secondary to play better, and like we we saw that last week against a very high octane Bucks
1: offense. Was last week's defensive performance Tom Brady being past his bedtime, or the fact that the Saints did their annual midseason thing and flipping the light switch on and becoming a great defense? Because that's what we've been waiting for, right? They have the talent to do so. They did so against the Bucks. Uh, I don't know if this will be the test against Nick Mullins and company, but. I will say it seems that we we have at least forgotten that before he was a close contact, Brandon Ayuk had, did have 10 targets without Debo Samuel, 8 for 91 and a touchdown. And it doesn't look like Debo Samuel will be healthy for this game. So while everyone will flock to Rich James, that could be a fine flex option if Debo Samuel is officially ruled out. But either way, recall what Ayuk did without Samuel in the three games I believe it is now this year and just start him as a strong wide receiver too.
2: Nick Mullins leads the league in yards per pass attempt from a clean pocket, but ranks 24th in yards per pass attempt under pressure. It's the most drastic drop off in terms of clean versus pressured in the entire league and Cameron Jordan and Sheldon Rankins, David Onyemata. I mean, all these guys I'm afraid are, and we talked about it heading into the season that, I mean, it's not like the 49ers in what was a perfect situation to succeed in 2019 had the healthiest offensive line. They didn't like Joe Staley missed time, Mike McGlinchey, Weston Richburg, so on and so forth. While Trent Williams comes in, they've had, you know, a few other injuries this year, but they haven't been as good. They haven't been as great along that front five. So I'm, I'm a little nervous about the pressure packages that the Saints can bring and how it's just going to make Nick Mullen's eyes look even bigger on the screen.
6: I think the Niners offense, by the way, is just a lot about the Niners defense too. There was this, yeah. the defense took so much pressure off the offense last year. And now there's just so much pressure on guys that don't need pressure on that ne- like need good game script, good situations. They had it all last year and they just never have it this year.
2: We'll close out this four o'clock window the Cincinnati Bengals going to the Pittsburgh Steelers, Steelers seven point favorites at home, the lone undefeated team in the league but a total of just 45 and a half Hayden. It was fun to look up these quarterbacks because Joe Burrow is averaging 41 attempts per game right now as a rookie, but he's just the quarterback 17 in fantasy points per game right now. And despite being eight, no and Ben Roethlisberger having all of these wonderful weapons to throw the football to he's the quarterback 18 in fantasy points per game right now. What gives with both those figures?
3: I'm not sure. And we still have a lot of questions at for both teams' receivers, and I don't know if we're ever going to actually get the full answers to the test. Um, so, yeah, I think Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, I'd rank them above Juju Smith-Schuster, but we're going to have this conversation every week. It's going to yep. be very inconsistent. Um, I still think that Chase Claypool is the best receiver, and I think long-term I'd rather have him. But Deontay Johnson's getting all the looks. Juju somewhere in between. And we've seen Big Ben, especially after last week, uh, when he got this knee injury, he was standing in the pocket, not moving, and just throwing the ball underneath. So I'm expecting that to be the case once again. And we'll see if they go in empty sets and get rid of James Conner and bring in a tight end, bring in another receiver, and really just throw the ball underneath to all three of these receivers.
6: Hayden answered the question that he didn't know I was going to ask. Like, I was going to ask you, I mean, how, do you have any tips on how to rank the Steelers wide receivers? Uh, I did Deontay first just because he does seem – to be the most consistently highly targeted. Uh, but and, and I also did uh, Chase Claypool seconds. The, the Bengals have kind of weirdly decent slot coverage. It's probably just like a statistical outlier or like snafu, but they have weirdly decent slot coverage. But, uh, I mean, and same thing with the Bengals. Like, how do I, I – the two different teams, like every week, I mean, should, who should I be ranking higher, Tyler Boyd or T. Higgins? And it's just uh, two very, very unsettled receiver cores that uh, typically we have a better idea by week 10.
2: You, you guys check my my memory on this, but didn't Joe Burrow, it was against the Ravens, right? He just had an absolute nightmare of a performance. Yes. Like it. he just was seeing ghosts. It looked like he just couldn't operate and couldn't function. And, you know, in the other seven games this season, he's looked really composed for a rookie, but... You know, the Ravens defense, I think you can easily compare it to this Pittsburgh Steelers defense. And that's very worrying to me where we're just not going to hit value and hit our standard production of what we expect from this Bengals team, especially Daigle without Joe Mixon, because he's still not practicing for this game.
1: That Ravens game was actually the only loss greater than one score for the Bengals all year long. Uh, because, as you said, they, they terrified him. And perhaps the Steelers do that. As we know, the Steelers are blissing at a league-high rate. They're going to try to get there. But even so, I still think Joe Burrow, who just tends to hang around now, um, can at least compete with the Steelers, who last week we saw played down to their competition against the Cowboys, even though Garrett Gilbert did look much better than Ben DiNucci. But Burrow, we know, is is just a totally different aspect altogether. And now he's not only has, as Pat mentioned, Boy, T. Higgins and A.J. Green, I really do believe Brian Callahan. I think Auden Tate's going to be involved here uh, season high and snaps and targets for the buy. They came out afterwards on Monday and said they do want to get him more involved here down the stretch. I think he's going to eat at A.J. Green's too high of target share, to be honest. And uh, we're going to see what they come out with, because I would like to see four wide receiver sets for this team to respond against the Steelers offense that is still bottom five in the league and splash plays loud through the air.
3: Yeah, you you nailed it. I I do think that after the buy, AJ Green's usage is gonna come way down. You're gonna see T. Higgins like becoming like a more solidified like wide receiver three, maybe mm-hmm. even a wide receiver two. And Tyler Boyd, I don't think this is the week to like go all in on Tyler Boyd just because the Bengals are projected for less than 20 points. But over the last month, he's the wide receiver three overall in fantasy usage. He's been getting peppered with targets. He's still involved in the red zone. And I think what's going to happen, you're going to see Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins as the clear cut two guys, top two guys. And then a bigger gap than we've seen with A.J. Green, who's probably going to lose his job to Auden Tate or John Ross. And kind of deservedly so, if if you're the Bengals, might as well see what you have with Auden Tate because you're probably not going to sign A.J. Green long term at this point and there's are wasting throws from Joe Burrow going to AJ Green so i would sit aj green if you if you've had him he's kind of been paying off as like a wide receiver three occasionally but i think this is the week to actually sit aj green
2: sunday night football the 6 and 2 baltimore ravens are 7 point favorites on the road against the new england patriots one of the smallest totals of the weekend 43 and a half in this game pat we saw cam newton lift and help his team to victory over the lowly New York Jets last week. And guess what? Now you get the Baltimore Ravens. And the number one conclusion we can make for Cam Newton in a Patriots jersey is that rushing production is required for him in order to hit value as, you know, a top 12, top 10, top eight quarterback. I mean, he's tied for third in the NFL with eight rushing scores this season, only behind Dalvin Cook and Todd Gurley. And only two of his seven contests saw him exceed 175 passing yards. So, with all of that said, Pat, we can't expect him to do that against this Ravens defense, can we?
6: Probably not. I mean, Josh, you were ahead of the curve on this time of Cam's health and not, you know, looking anywhere really close to 100 percent I mean, that was so obvious Monday night against the Jets, where he was accurate actually, but you know, it looked like he was like shot putting the ball almost and no deep targets whatsoever. I and mean, part of that, I'm sure, is because of the personnel, but the passing game did stabilize a little bit because he finally found like a connection with Jacoby Myers, like a really consistent connection. Now they have another uh, over the middle of the field target that they added for an Isaiah Ford for this week. Uh, So maybe the, the Pats offense can kind of survive on finally supplementing the running game with some consistent passing production in the middle of the field. And, but I mean, what I am really, really interested in seeing this week is Lamar Jackson against Bill Belichick and this Patriots defense. But you the know, Patriots run defense has been terrible. You know, the defense on the whole, so gutted by opt outs, but kind of hanging around and, you know, going into this game, one of the narratives is going to be Lamar Jackson saying this week that opposing teams are literally calling out their plays on defense. And Bill Belichick is always a terrible matchup for young quarterbacks. He's a bad matchup for dual threat quarterbacks. And I get, Lamar Jackson is already on the the record. Like, yeah, I mean, teams are literally announcing what plays we're going to run. The season hinging on this moment for Hmm. both these teams, I feel like, because the Ravens need to get their offense in gear. You know, the Patriots desperately need to win every week. Um, I think it's going to be a closer game than expected, like a very, very telling game for both
2: teams. My counter, the Patriots' defense is just so damn slow. Like, they are just, I understand that they might be able to call out what he's going to do before impact, but I don't think they're going to be able to get there in time. Lamar Jackson, while I, I totally agree that we've been talking about, it's just, it's feet, it's yards, it's, it's inches away from hitting like it, it was last year. I did like this past week where they got Marquise Brown a little bit more involved in the intermediate game. Somehow Nick Boyle is emerging as the tight end with, you know, that is being targeted in this game. But if we can just have the Lamar Jackson, Gus Edwards not fumbling near the other goal line, J.K. Dobbins show, I I don't know how, even if they are well coached, even if they do have a great game plan, the Patriots stopping this team on the other side of the ball. I, I just can't Take my brain into that place right now, Pat.
6: It's the same defense that held Joe Flacco at only four plays in the fourth quarter. (laughs) So don't tell me they're not ready uh, for the Baltimore Ravens.
1: And Gus Edwards out-touched by J.K. Dobbins just 29-30 to these past two games. But even in only rushing for 2.3 yards per carry, 23 yards, I believe, plus a coughed up a fumble inside the five-yard line, finishes the RB 27 overall because that's what it's become um, the past like two or three weeks at that position. So you're still starting Dobbins and Edwards with confidence – since it looks like Ingram is going to go through an entire week DMP again, and um, he's looking at an extended absence with that high ankle sprain. Uh,
3: the Patriots are allowing the 14th most yards per play since 1970. I mean, there's the, there's like six or seven teams uh, that are in the top 15, but the Patriots are 14th worst all time. It's pretty it's pretty nuts. I mean this this game lacks a lot of fantasy appeal on both sides. I think that Jacoby Myers. Has earned like maybe wide receiver three play, but you're now throwing in Isaiah Ford. This offense could completely go in the gutter, but his usage is through the charts. And I think he looks pretty good, honestly. I think that he's going to be like a longtime starter for for the Patriots. I wouldn't be surprised by that.
2: Stefan Gilmore, I believe, is returning for this game. At least he's been practicing. So that's a boost. But like these are the top, or excuse me, the bottom six defenses scored in DVOA right now the Texans, the Jets, the Bengals, the Raiders the Jaguars and the Patriots. I mean, this is a departure from this Patriots team. That was one of the defenses that was one of the best in the NFL over the last year or two. And now they just don't have it. They, they don't have it. It's, it's like, it's like when, you know, a, a, a group is just trying to hang on for one or two or three extra years. What is it? Is this a basketball analogy? Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen. And then it just all crumbled in the end. And you just go away, like trying to remember the good old days. Well, that's kind of what the Patriots are right now. And Pat, as we discussed in the midweek show, they'll head into the 2021 season, the second most cap room in the NFL at 80-something million and just be able to build a whole new roster.
6: It's true that that's how they've looked, but it was, it's not quite a fair comparison because of the opt-outs. The opt-outs really true. changed the overall tenor of this defense and that it could be, a, I mean, they're going to all be a year older next year, but it could be like a very easy bounce-back defense in 2021.
2: Because I think Calais Campbell's out multiple weeks of the calf strain. If he's missing the in the anchor spot, the interior of that defense, if, if that just is... A major factor in tanks this unit, but I just don't see that as as a real possibility. Like one person rarely has that much pulling power on the defensive side of the football.
1: So. Also, two notes: Cam and still getting it done, top eleven quarterback in four of his last five games. The anomaly no. being the game where he was benched. I'm starting him as a QB one this week. Ah, Josh what is not. What are and you doing? What's why wouldn't you start Cam? Newton yeah, I got him
6: top sixteen. Too. I mean, the the eight touched eight rushing touchdowns in seven games, and. He had his first right. passing touchdown since getting coronavirus last week, too. Things are trending up. um. So,
2: But I, I mean, to me, he is such a matchup dependent player right now. And if he's not like there is no Absolutely passing, he's not
6: a matchup dependent player, a power running quarterback. I, mean, I think for fantasy, he's not matchup dependent because we know what the Patriots are going to do uh, in the red zone near the goal line. They're going to give the ball to Cam Newton.
2: Okay, I guess we'll find John, out. I want to hear John Spiel, equation.
6: though. Yeah, I want to hear John oh, no. Spiel and Mr. Cam Newton. A,
1: well, I mean, what, that was my spiel. Like, we're going to disagree on it. That's fine. Like, if you're telling me Drew Locke or Derek Carr are these guys in good matchups, but Cam Newton in a worse matchup it has the rushing floor, I just take I take the legs every single time. That gives me another out. Um, hey, that's Locke's
6: got some I, legs, by the way, the past few That's
1: weeks. the way I <laughs> – Drew Lock has a lot of things. Uh, being good is not one of them. Um, that's just the way I rank players for me. Uh, also, quick note, Des Bryant – Still rostered or not still but rostered in 23% of Yahoo leagues. Like, <laughs> come on. I thought we talked y'all better than that. What are we doing here?
2: Ravens cover the seven. We'll put it that way.
1: All right. Ravens, Ravens uh win by two scores. Cam Newton still a top one quarterback. I think the Patriots will cover. Okay.
2: Pat, I mean, you you've had you've been firm in your Bill Belichick belief this year, and I appreciate that. Someone has to. As right? the wall crumbles around him. All right. Let's close it out.
6: He out, he outfoxed Joe Flacco. I don't know what I more. Know. more. <laughs> uh.
2: I know. All right, let's close out with Monday Night Football. The Minnesota Vikings on the road, despite being three and five, are two and a half point favorites against the Chicago Bears, who are still somehow five and four. Hayden Winks, what gets you juiced about this game? I mean, other than Dalvin Cook, is there anything that gets you juiced about this contest? Because, man, Chicago Bears start the season, I wouldn't say well, if we. But if we just looked at like the win-loss column, there was something that Chicago could believe in. But now they've regressed back to reality, and there is absolutely nothing positive other than Allen Robinson coming down with these circus-like grabs over and over and over again and saving his quarterback that's enjoyable to watch about this Bears team. Yeah, the Bears are unwatchable.
3: I mean, they're not even throwing the ball to Allen Robinson right now either. It's super frustrating. If you look at their last couple weeks, it's – Darnell Mooney, Anthony Miller, Allen Robinson, and Jimmy Graham basically having the same target share, which is just nuts. I can't believe that they're not throwing the ball to Allen Robinson even more. I don't know if that's a Nick Foles thing, but the one thing is, like we've mentioned time and time again, the Vikings cornerback situation is awful. The pass rush situation is awful. So I think the Bears have a chance to hang in here. Uh, and I think Allen Robinson, you have to just like trust the process and, and hopefully that the targets completely go back up again. Um, as like a top fifteen wide receiver, but I mean, David Montgomery's getting all the usage in the world is doing nothing with it. Nick Foles is just Nick Foles, so I mean, it's it's bleak out here.
6: Only fourteen more Bears primetime games, so we can at least mark another <laughs> one off the calendar after this. Uh, you mean, a lot of Anthony Miller and Darnell Mooney targets for the Bears. But Allen Robinson has been keeping his yardage floor alive, at least. I think he's cleared 70 yards. So he's at least in three straight games. Uh, I think he's averaging maybe over 70. So he's at least still turning in some fantasy production. But, yeah, a lot of Anthony Miller and Darnell. I-, I love Darnell Mooney, too, but we need some more targets for Alan Robinson is what we need, folks. Um, so I agree
1: we at least saw that Nick Foles can get it done when given a whole half of garbage time. 350 yards and two touchdowns last week, although this is still the worst offense I replay at the end of the day every single mm-hmm. week. Uh, having said that, I don't know if there will be garbage time in this game because this Bears defense is still holding its own. Uh, Kirk Cousins' his last two games has averaged just over 150 yards in the two contests against this team. Um, he's performed really bad against them. And even worse, for fantasy players – is that It's not. It really hasn't been a disappearance for Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, but it's been more of a dispersal since the team returned from by. 26% target share for Adam Thielen, 24% for Justin Jefferson, 15% for Dalvin Cook, and a combined 20% for the team's tight ends. So not only are there targets going everywhere now, there are also fewer targets because Dalvin Cook is just handling everything in this offense and it's become run heavy. So it's not like you're going away from Thielen and Jefferson, but it is getting concerning now that there are more people involved and the offense just doesn't run through them yep i
2: think that's a yeah,
6: they're kind of cannibal one of my favorite stats of the week which people were truthing this i tweeted this they're saying it's more because of dalvin cook which is partly true but in this time span he missed a game and a half adam thielen is averaging only 57 yards in six games since justin jefferson came on the seed with his 100 uh, yard game in week three and he's cleared 51 yards only twice in that span and especially though because yeah justin jefferson isn't like taking it and running with it they're both just getting like five or six targets no. as Dalvin Cook goes totally nuts. And I, I did a rankings reset with Adam Thielen this week where, to me, he, he's like a low-end wide receiver too. I'm, I'm giving up like the the low-end wide receiver one, high-end wide receiver two.
1: I agree. It's a bad, it's a very bad matchup. Like for instance, I would probably start T Higgins over him. Uh, I don't know any others off the top of my head, but like high high floor, high ceiling. Only T Higgins. Only (laughs) T Higgins is my favorite player. He ranked Uh, two wide receivers this week. Higher (laughs) ceilings guys, I would start over Thielen and Jefferson this week.
2: Okay. Let's close it out there. Gentlemen, this was tremendous. You always do such a great job. Again, go and check out Pat's rankings, which are on the front of the site. Also Friday afternoon, Hayden and Daigle are on
6: i'm the one d- who's on friday afternoon they're on friday evening
2: folks. what's the difference between um, afternoon and evening i mean is there really a difference it's like a two hours time span five, you can 10, check out both on replays on on the twitch replays that's probably the best there. way of doing that and that's called dfs voting blocks the name escaped me for a moment but that's where we are at and once again join us please for Rotor live served by apple please noon eastern on sunday twitch periscope and youtube there all right Thank you, everyone, for joining us. For Pat, for Daigle, for Hayden, I am Josh Norris, up the villa. Talk to you all soon. See ya.
4: Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... I yeah. have the charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Oh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed.
5: With the Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking.